Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. Well, uh, today is, some call it Super Sunday. To me, every Sunday is super. Uh, it's, <laughs> it, and Sunday morning is certainly my favorite time of the week. Uh, did you hear the Bills are in the Super Bowl? Did you hear that? I didn't hear it either. <laughs> but uh, they were in the 90s, best team in the 90s. Uh, showed up four straight years. Well, this year... Uh, there's going to be quite a game. It's going to, there's calling it uh, perhaps a game of the century because both teams are, are really, boy, it's going to be something. And how about Manning right at the line? Boy, he, he could get an Academy Award the way he carries on uh, with all his theatrics and all that. Wow. I'm never sure how they all know when to go because he's stamping his feet, moving his hands, waving around, this and that. Call an audibles. All that to say, I'm going to call an audible today. I'm going to make an executive decision. You had in your, your handout, I'm not going to preach the sermon that you have. Mine, mine's prettier than yours. But uh, I'm not going to, I'm going to wait to wear full force. God really laid that message on my heart. And uh, we'll call an audible here. And uh, you're going to get off easy today. But... Uh, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the cost of a disciple. If you're a little bit timid, don't show up next week. You may be convicted, okay? We're going to be looking around saying, well, who heard that and who's not here next week? No, Lord willing, and God's in charge of the weather. I'm not. But uh, we're, we're going to look at that next week. Keep that handout so Anna doesn't have to make too many more for next, next week. Are you happy about that, Anna? I see that. Okay, all right. And so we're going to call an audible. Hike, hike. No, no, we'll call an audible before the hike, right? I played football enough years, I should know that. Take your Bible, and let's turn to the, uh, the Bible's hymn book. What book's that? The Psalms. Yeah, that's right. The Bible's hymn book is the Psalm. Turn to Psalm 73. When you were in school like I was, I wonder if you had some, in those early years, some outstanding teachers. I still remember all their names. My kids are amazed that I remember all their names. But I do. Miss Rissius, you know, kindergarten, taught me how to tie my shoes. Miss Casey, first grade. I had the joy of having her in fifth grade, too. <laughs> Boy, she didn't let me get away with too much. Mrs. Hurdle, her name rhymes with girdle, and you can imagine what we used to sing in second grade. Uh, and so on, you know. <laughs> and I had some early, and they used to read to us uh, uh, all kinds of nursery rhymes and fables, Esau's fables, and some of those are very terrifying. Did you ever read some of those old German nursery rhymes? I mean, they're cooking kids in the oven and eating them. And I mean, it's just like, oh, my word. <laughs> and they, they're written for kids, you know? And they're like, wow. <laughs> anyway, you know, we, we had to learn a lot of those rhymes. One of, one of the ones I remember so well, and maybe you learned it, was Humpty Dumpty. And I always think of Humpty Dumpty when I read days, uh, eight, not Asaph, uh, Asaph, not Esau, Asaph Psalm in 73. Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. 
all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Nobody could put him back together again. You know, we live in a fallen world, don't we? Where bad things often happen to good people. You know, and some people go down the wrong avenue and they say, and they come up with the wrong conclusion. I've seen books on it. Rabbi just wrote a book recently, a couple years ago, about God's good, but he's not almighty. God really wants the best, but he's not able. He's not omnipotent. He can't bring it about. And so he goes, oh my, a lot. Oh my. Oh my. No, well, that's not right. The Bible certainly doesn't teach that. God spoke the word and creation came into being. He's omnipotent, almighty God. He's uh, almighty and he's good. But we live in a fallen world. Genesis 3 is one of the most important chapters in all the Bible. I mean, if we didn't have that, we could sort of figure it out, I think, by reading Paul and other places, you know, if if we just had one and two and one what right to four, we go like, whoa, I missed something. Cain built a big civilization, pagan to the core, trying to live life without God. And then you read on there. Genesis 3 is so important. The historicity of it, the real time space fall. There was a handsome man named Adam, Adam, and his wife, Adama, Eve. Eve as we get from Latin. And they really existed in paradise. And they really rebelled against God. And God said, you can eat from any and all of them. Isn't that the goodness of God? Right? It is. And there's an enemy to our soul. His name's Satan. It's not an evil force. Some people don't believe their Bible. I don't know who they think Jesus was talking to at the temptation. Maybe his multiple personality or something. No, he was talking to the devil. He's Satan. And uh, he really existed, and he really tempted the first parents, our first parents, Adam and Eve. And he questioned, really, attack, did God really say? It was an attack against the Word of God. Notice that? He's been doing that ever since. You don't have to know much about history. Thomas Jefferson had the Jeffersonian Bible. He went through and cut out all the miraculous of the, uh, uh, of, uh, of the Bible. Anything miraculous, anything, well, that can't be. Well, that Bible's worthless now. You might as well give it the heave-ho, right? Did God really say, yes, he did? And Adam should have said, yes, he did. Get out of here. He was the regent, but he didn't. And the attack was against the goodness of God, right? Did God say, you can, look, you can have it all, except that one in the center. Can't eat of that one. It was a test. They were creatures, Glorious. Maybe there was even a Shekinah glory that radiated from him. Beautiful. And they sinned. God had warned them, don't eat of that. Don't eat of that. Don't eat of it. And when he attacked through Eve, remember, Satan came to Eve. That was the weaker way in, right? Because God was to teach Eve. Uh, God, Adam was to teach Eve. And I, I love it because Eve adds to it. And I could hear, hear her saying her husband's words, right? right? Did God really say you can't? Yes, we can't, and we can't even touch it. You never find God saying you can't touch it. But her husband probably said, and don't stay clear of it, and don't even touch it. And so Eve says, don't touch it. Well, you know what happened. 
It was deception. She was deceived. And Adam, he wasn't far away. He was standing right there. He gave, she gave him some. And uh, with his eyes wide open, he sinned. God said, in the day you eat of that, you will die indeed. Underline it, death. And it's rather remarkable that God just didn't just say, that's it, you're gone. It was the beginning of mercy, really. Now, they began to die spirit, uh, physically that day. Death. Death entered the human race, Romans 5, at that occasion. Death and everything related with it, suffering, pain. You got pain today? Suffering, sorrow, tears, death? Goes back to Genesis 3. Ladies, do you have any pain in childbirth? Thank the Lord for anesthesias, huh? Saddle blocks and everything else. Pain, though. There's pain. And Adam, by the sweat of your brow, you will work. And, and we live in the aftermath of all that, the historicity of Genesis 3. And I'm saying to you, it's an upside-down world. It's not normal. It's not a normal world. It's upside-down. Death reigns. You know 150,000 people die every single day in the world. Just take the world population and the number of 150,000 every single day, underlining the fact that what God said, the day you eat of this, you will die indeed. It's a parade toward death. You ever go to a parade, Gimbel's Thanksgiving Day Parade? This is a parade. All the mass of humanity, a parade headed toward the grave. All because of that. Oh, it's an upside-down world. What's that mean? Sometimes bad things happen, don't they? Disappointment, brokenness, sorrow, tears. We're not guaranteed three score and ten, four score. We're not. Say, well, where's it written? Well, you may live that long, but you may not. Sometimes uh, good people, righteous people, godly people die very young. Del Faisenfeld, one of the great evangelists of my earlier days with life action, died. He thought God would deliver him, died in his early 40s. Evangelist, revivalist, wonderful man, had a ministry in my life. That's the kind of guy you want to live to be 100. Didn't happen. Borden, the, the great era of the Borden Food Enterprise, died on his way to, to the mission field, died. On and on and on. Sorrow, brokenness. And as a pastor, I often hear of the brokenness and disappointment with life, with children, grandchildren, loss of jobs, stresses and strains, all of these things. It's a privilege. It really is to represent Christ that way. And I, I always count it that way. It's a high and holy privilege to do that. Even this week, I've Dealing with folks uh, with deep disappointment. I didn't think it was going to be like this. And tears, you know, and trying to comfort and counsel and carry. You know, a, a pastor is like a coach, a teacher, a father, uh, a shepherd, an under-shepherd for the Lord Jesus. As we do that to each other and, and that we do that, it, it's a broken world. It's a broken world. Sometimes it's Lions won, Christians nothing. And that's not a football game or a soccer game or a hockey game. Sometimes uh, Christians get eaten up and crushed. Uh, Asaph was a man who had a high position in Israel. He, 
was one of the choir masters. In Psalm 73, uh, records his words in the uh, psalm and uh, the book of Psalms. And it's a wonderful book, and it's one that you should know well. You should know this psalm particularly because it describes many of us at times. Think of Job and all that went on in his life. The whole bottom dropped out of a, a man who God bragged about. Have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him. That's what God said to Satan. Job didn't know what was going on. He just lost everything, his wealth, all his kids, the support of his wife. He didn't know that he was at the very focal point of of a battle between heaven and earth. He didn't know. We do because we've got it in the Word. And sometimes it happens that way, doesn't it? And as Asaph looked around at the world, the fallen, broken world, the Humpty Dumpty world, uh, he had a complaint. And maybe it's a complaint in your heart as you see life, or the hearts of those that you love and know. Look what he says. He begins right in verse 1. He begins with a theological plank, right? Surely God is good to Israel and to those who are pure in heart. Now, that's, that's like quoting the, uh, the catechism. You know, I believe in God the Father. I believe in God the Son. I believe in God the Holy Spirit. I believe in the church, the holy universal church. I believe in, in the divinity of Christ. He's, he's citing a theological plank, a platitude, if you will. Surely God is good to Israel. That's God's people, right? Surely God is good. Don't you love that when he moves to verse 2, he's got a problem with it. He says in verse 2, but for me, my feet had almost slipped. I'd nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He said, you know, I know the plank. I learned it in Sunday school. I can recite it. I know that God is good to Israel. But, just but, when I look through the lens of life and see the world, it just didn't seem to be true. It seemed upside down. It just seemed that the godless people who could care less about Christ in our day, about God, things sacred and holy, they got ahead. They got the best jobs. They did best in school. Their bank accounts were bigger. They went to the doctor almost never because they were healthy. And those of us, the remnant, the few, hopefully not the proud, we have all kinds of struggles. Uh, We don't seem to get the promotions always. We don't seem to have big bank accounts. We don't seem to be in excellent health. It just doesn't seem true to life that surely God is good to his people. It seemed upside down. It seemed broken. It didn't seem right. And when I looked around, I got to tell you, I envied the godless, the arrogant. Arrogant means proud. Because, man, they were really successful. That speaks to us as Americans, right? We spell success with dollar signs. See the S's in success? (laughs) 
What team are they on? That's the team I want to be on. I'm on the, I don't, you know. And then he goes on to talk about the apparent, and the key word is apparent, prosperity of the godless. Look, look at this catalog, if you will, of their apparent, as he looks through the lens of life in an upside-down world. Verse 4, he begins, uh, they, they have no struggles, or so it seems. Keep saying that when we read this catalog. Or so it seems. They don't have any struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. Or so it seems. They are free from the burdens common to man. Or so it seems. They're not plagued by human ills. And therefore pride. Oh, boy, do they strut around. Pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. I always think of the mafia here. You know, strutting around. We'll rub you out, you know. <laughs> violence. You know, they throw their weight around. They'll crush you if you get in the way. I mean, they're, they're the kings of the earth, so to speak. Verse 7, from their callous, that means their hard hearts, come iniquity, all sorts of sin. Their evil conceits of their mind know no limits. I mean, you keep reading of their depravity, and you go like, could it get any worse? And it's like they come up with new ways to express their, their wickedness. It's like, I can't believe it. Just, it's horrendous. It knows no limits. What will be next in the display of, of their sin? They look at their attitude, verse 8, they scoff and speak with malice. Malice is simply a, a state of hatred. They speak that way. They're hateful the way that the words that come out of their mouth is like a garbage can. Hatred. And in their arrogance, they threaten oppression. And yet, look at their mouths. Their mouths, uh, verse 9, they lay claim to heaven. If there's a heaven, I'll surely be there. <laughs> they say to themselves as they look in the mirror. They lay claim to it. And their tongues, well, they possess the earth. They buy lands and houses and homes. It's, it's a real Monopoly board game in their life. I'll take Park Place and Broadway and Marvin Gardens and all the rest. They own lands and everything else. It seems, or so it seems, Asaph, the godly man, and just seems so upside down. It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. The wicked prosper while the godly don't seem to or don't seem to much. Uh, he goes on to say, they say in verse 11, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? He doesn't know about us. He doesn't really care. This is what the wicked are like, he says, verse 12. Always carefree, or so it seems. They increase in their wealth, or so it seems. And now he comes to a conclusion, a wrong conclusion. But he, in verse 13, surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been plagued. I've been punished every morning. And if I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. 
And when I tried to understand it all, I couldn't figure it out. It was oppressive to me. Well, what he's saying in verse 13 is in vain. I've kept my. He's, he's beginning to think I'm on the wrong team. You ever play in a team that never won? My first Little League baseball team was like that, the Mounties. We lost every single game. We were clueless. I was like seven, didn't know what I was doing. You know, it was pathetic. It was bad. Every game, 14, uh, no, 0 and 14. Uh, and I saw these other teams, the Rainers and the Bees and all the rest. Funny how you remember that. Uh, and some of those guys could really powder the ball and play. And I said, I want to be on that team. I hate my team. <laughs> I'm on the wrong team. That's sort of what he's thinking here now. That's what he's thinking. He's thinking jump and ship. You know, if this is what it is to love God and be saved and live for him, I'm not sure I want it. Now, what's the sense? They're on the winning side. Everybody loves a winner. Everybody loves to be on the winning side. And he's thinking about, boy, I, I've given myself in these days and these years, in vain have I done this. In vain. And this thing has been a plague every day, every morning. And if I stood up at a testimony time when, when the righteous gather, when the God's people, and said, let me tell you my testimony, I told this, it would have been horrible. It would have been putting poison into the middle of the congregation. And to understand it, I couldn't. I couldn't do it. Wow. Well, you know what? That's where a lot of people are, especially in America, this materialism day and he who ends with the most toys wins type mentality. You know, Christians, we live in a culture. We swim in a stream called life. You can't, you can't avoid it. Say, well, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll go into some sort of monastery. You can't. You can't. You go to the mall, it's in the music that they're playing. It's in the stores. It's in the advertisements. It's everywhere you go. You know, it is. The commercials are designed, you're unhappy unless you use this deodorant. Truth is, uh, probably everyone else is unhappy if you don't use it, Right? You got to have this. If I have this or I have that, I'll get happy. If I have this, I have that, I'll be happy. And we begin to think, you know, there's a dissatisfaction that creeps into our heart because we're looking at life wrongly, like Asaph, thinking somehow we're on the wrong side in this upside down, humpty dumpty world. Don't stop there. I'm so thankful that verse 17. Is, is in. Because the whole psalm pivots at this point. God allows him to pivot. Or he says in verse 17, till I entered the sanctuary of God, God's dwelling, his throne room. Then, then, then I understood there the godless, their final destiny. What's he mean? Well, Calvin says, in writing, he said, it's uh, when he saw life from God's throne, as it really is, you know, with 2020, with clarity. That's when I saw what really was, really what it was all about. I saw the end. I saw God's end. I saw the end of life. 
until I entered the sanctuary of God, until God became my schoolmaster, another one writes, until I listened to God in his word, then I understood their final destiny. Now look at the difference. In verse 18, in verse 2, he was about to fall, right? But then I realized, whoa, wait a minute. Verse 18, surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. He discovered after hearing God in his word and seeing life from God's throne, and God is the definer of all things. He is the ultimate reality. This is his world. I discovered that those that are around me that know not God, that don't live for him, that's, that appear to have it all going their way, Frank Sinatra, are not really. They're on slippery ground. You ever put on ice skates and play hockey? Ever put on skates, figure skates? It's pathetic when you first put them on, right? You're barely hanging on. So you fall down a, a bunch of times. I remember we were in Vermont one time, and I used to take each one of my children up there for uh, <clears throat> two days of uh, skiing. Leave up or get them out of school early on Thursday. Friday, I've always taken Friday off. And we'd leave about 1 o'clock and drive 400 miles up to Killington. I took Sarah one year, then I took David one year, then I took Jonathan, just dad and, dad and them. It was great memories. We'd drive up there. And, and I remember the one year I took David up there, and snowboarding was starting to become po- early popular. And uh, David had skis, and we had been skiing. And uh, he said to me after the first day, he said, Dad, what do you think if I try, uh, try snowboarding? Uh, the younger uh, teens were trying it, and he said, yeah, I really want to try it. And I said, well, it's up to you. You know, I paid for your lift ticket. You know, you got your skis. You got money for a snowboard? And he said, yeah, I got the money. I'll run it. So he rents it. And they gave him a quick lesson in the shop. <laughs> it's very different in the shop. If you ever notice that, you're on concrete, and the guy's saying, do this and do that. Well, okay, I can, I can lick this. So we go all the way up to the top, ride. They, they have a nice gondola. goes all the way up to the top, Killington. And we're at the top, and I said, well, we better tr- try and pick the most gentlest slope coming down because a little different than being in the shop. Nah, he says, I think I can handle it. Oh, my goodness. Oh, <laughs> to this day, to this day, I... I, I didn't think it was possible for someone to slip and fall that many times. I mean, it took, it took hours to get down the hill. I mean, I didn't leave him. I was okay. And, and at one point, he, he was so frustrated, and when he went down, he starts pounding the mountain with his fist. And I said to him, you must, you must really like hitting that mountain. I mean, you're hitting it body, and then you're pounding it. He says, I... I just, just, I'm going to get this. I'm going to get this. And, you know, uh, boy, was he black and blue. And and, uh, eventually he got very, very good at it. Not that time. But he slipped, and he slipped, and he fell. And, oh, my. And scared me enough, I I never tried uh, snowboarding. (laughs) I'm a a two-point skier, and uh, I have done that since I was 17, and, But that's what he's saying here. Wait a minute. They're the ones. When I saw life in a fallen world, I was kidding myself. 
I was on the wrong team. They're going, going, and almost gone. I mean, what is life? It's a vapor. Have you, have you got a grip on that yet? Just I watch time, and the, and the speed of which it goes blows my mind. Watch it if you have children and your children. Yeah, spend the time with them because they're soon gone. I'm so grateful for, I mentioned that time with the, with the kids, uh, uh, those memories and family uh, gatherings, they're the things we have. You know, and, and a word from the wise, or at least the older, or further down, use that time up. Give yourself to that. It, it goes fast. Um, wow. They're, they're, they're the ones on slippery places. Look at 19. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors? Have you ever seen someone who hates Christ approach death? I have. There's a horror in their eyes. I've seen a woman I'm thinking of who looked like death, who rejected Christ, didn't want anything to do with him, and she was facing through cancer death. It's horrible. I've seen others scream and yell. Uh, Completely different than a believer. Completely different. Uh, Swept away by terrors is what he's saying. The, the, the godless that seem to have it so well here and now, terror is coming. I mean, a funeral to an unsaved person is like a horror show. It was a horrible thing. I remember being in the office. I worked a couple years with my dad in business after we were married before I went to seminary, and we would occasionally get calls in the office. Somebody had died. Oh, it, my dad wasn't saved, and it really, and rightfully so. Oh, it troubled him. Oh, no. I'd, I'd see him. He would, oh, 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 that's the last thing we need, he'd say. And the, I could hear him. And then he said, then he, and I told you before, yeah, we say, it always happens in three. Who's next? <laughs> and he's like looking around, you know. <laughs> like it's all ultimate horror show. Listen, if you know Christ, death is the doorway to heaven. The Puritans you say delivered by death. Absent from the body, present with the Lord, the longer I live, the glory of God and His creation. I can't wait to see heaven, really. But not if you know not Christ. I don't call that wealthy, do you? Man, oh man, man. As a dream when one awakes, so when you arise, O oh Lord, you'll despise them as fantasies. What's he mean? It's, uh, it's like a dream. It's, uh, it's like they're prospering now, the wicked, but... Uh, uh, it's like God allows him to prosper, but uh, he's going to awake, or, or so it seems, and judgment will fall. It's the common grace and mercy of God that he allows them to live and to be as prosperous as they may be. Wow. Wow. When, verse 21, when my heart was grieved... He's, he's very introspective here. He's giving a testimony. And my spirit embittered. Boy, he was just overwhelmed and wrongly looking at life through the lens. The world that's broken. The Humpty Dumpty day. He was embittered. He's grieved. I, he said, when I did that, 
I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you, Lord. That was me. I was dumber than a skunk, you said. Dumb. Dumb. I was uh, dumber than an animal. Well, what's the matter with me? I'm redeemed. Heaven's my home. You're my father, my shepherd. You're so good to me. And just because I don't have what that one has or the apparent health, you don't really know, or wealth or names or power or influence, you know, I got the, somehow thinking I'm on the wrong team. What, what's the matter with me? I was stupid. That's what he's saying. I was stupid. I was out of my mind when I reasoned that way. And then some of the most wonderful verses of the whole Old Testament, as he catalogs true wealth and his wealth, he thought, looking through the long, wrong lens, that they were wealthy. But when he catalogs and looks at true wealth, look at what he, he as he inventories, look what he says. And these are wonderful verses that uh, you ought to put to memory. Verse 23, first he says, Yet I am always with you. Now, you'd expect it the other way around, right? Jesus said in Matthew 20, I am always with you. Lo, I am always with you. Isn't that great? Here, Asaph says, I am always with you. Isn't that great? The, the, the company of God. We're never far away from him. In him we live, move, and have our being. I'm always with you. Never been lost. I was lost as a little boy. My, we went to the Toronto Exhibition. We used to do that occasionally from Buffalo Drive up. Yeah, and uh, my dad would always say to the kids, they eventually had seven. I don't think there were seven there at that point. They weren't all born yet. But he said, look, if any of you get lost, you see that thing? There was a big thing. You came through the gate. And there were, Just go there, and we'll find you. That was a day, that was a less crazy day, right? Where you think the worst if you can't find your kids, right? Some people have these, you ever see those long elastic things? Walking through the mall, the kid will run out about 30 feet and snaps, comes flying back, you know? They didn't have that stuff then. They didn't need it, I guess. <laughs> Snap, there he goes. I was walking around one day, I don't know what, I was looking at cotton candy or something. I got lost, separated. From my father and mother, and I, I, I was that scary. Choke you up? And I said, "What did he say? What did he say?" And where is that thing? I went and stood there, and about ten minutes later, sure enough, my father found me. He found me. Now I was with him. Jesus, uh, God says here, and Asaph, I, I am always with you. In the hospital, at work, tough times, disappointing times, broken-hearted times, good times. I'm always with you. Wow. God's friendship, his company. Look at it, it goes on. You're, you hold me by my right hand. I'm sorry if you're lefty in the Old Testament, the ancient day, it was the left. If you, the right hand is the hand of power and might. Um, nine out of ten are right-handed, and uh, the left hand was seen as weak. Now, there were some that were specially unique in warfare, and uh, some, of you, some of you know about the Benjamites that were left-handed, and the way you put the shield and the archers and all that, it was a particular advantage uh, because it was totally unexpected. 
but uh, other than that, I'm sorry, it's a right-handed world. I told uh, our pediatrician that when Sarah was born, our firstborn, I said, you know, it looks like she's favoring that left hand. And I said, what do you think? Can I, should, I, should I somehow help her with the right? And he looks up at me. He's got his glasses on. You know, we're first-time parents, and, and he said, what's wrong with left-handedness? <laughs> and then I noticed he was taking notes with his left hand. And I said, well, you know, you smudged the paper because your hand's behind the... No, I didn't say that at all. I said, nothing. Nothing at all. Then two out of three of ours turned out left-handed, you know. There you go. Two righties produced two out of three lefties. Uh, Who can figure? You hold me by my right hand. Strength, power. Lord, you hold me up. You're with me. You hold me up. I can't stand up on my own. Thank you for holding me up. I uh, got out yesterday and cleaned the sidewalks, uh, you know, in the middle of that near, I, I was figuring it was near the end of that snowfall, and uh, facing, oh, you be careful out there. You put that hip out, you'd be back in the hospital again. And I'm glad to report I only fell once. I did. I went right down. But, you know, my old football coaches say when you fall, get up fast. Don't be laying around. You'll get, you'll get hurt worse. So I popped up. Anyway, if you don't get up fast, then you know you really have a problem. So I popped right up, looked around. Neighbor saw me, waved to him. Hey, everything's okay here. He was nervous, too. He said, should you be doing that? Yeah, I, I, can, I, can, I can handle it. I've been waiting for this snow. You hold me by my right hand when we're about ready to fall, he does. Okay, you guide me with your counsel. Well, what's that? That's the Word of God. Some people pay a lot of money for counsel. What they do? I mean, uh, it's valuable. Information is valuable. Go to a psychologist or psychiatrist. Hundred fifty bucks an hour. You know, pay pay before you come in. Don't tell me your problems till you got a credit card. You know, or in business. You know, should I buy? Shouldn't I? I remember hearing one story about uh, a really an astute businessman. And uh, he, uh, he would all often do counseling, consulting, they called it, for a fee. And some guy called him up on the phone, laid the issue out before him, and knew he was paying. And that day it was like $20,000, if I remember. And then he said, well, what do you think? And he said, sell. He says, is that it? Yeah, sell. 20000 bucks. You know, so that's not bad, right? One word. Pastors can't get by with that. We have to say more than one word, or it's not a sermon, right? Sell. Well, that was the point of all his experience and all the wealth of his knowledge. That was his opinion, and it was valuable. Well, how much more valuable that we have? The counsel of God. It's like Christian, right? In Pilgrim's Progress, it's the map for life. It's a counsel for God. It's not the wisdom of men. And Asaph says, look, this is, this is wonderful. You're always with me. I'm never alone. You hold me by my right hand like a father with a little son. I always held my kids' hands. You hold mine. With, you counsel me with your word? Are you kidding? This is incredible. And look, he doesn't stop there. And afterward, that means after your short life and mine, one of the clearest Old Testament verses on the hope of the Old Testament saint of what? 
absent from the body, immediate present with the Lord. There's no holding tank. I mean, when you're gone, you're gone. When we show up at your funeral, your body will be there. You won't be there. Where'd he go? He exited. Actually, that's the word in the Greek, exodus. He was talking on the Mount of Transfiguration about his exodus, exiting the body. That's the Lord Jesus. You won't be there. And afterward, you will take me into glory. That's heaven. And you can't imagine the glory of that, and I can't either. But, you know, we look around on a day like this and see the beautiful blue sky and the sun and the twinkling of the snow and the cleanliness and the beauty of the, of the creation and the wonder of it all. It's beautiful. The God who designs our bodies so wonderfully in the systems that work, it's, I just can't wait to see the glory of heaven. You don't own your home. You know that? Somebody else will live there. If the Lord doesn't come back, someone else, they won't even know you. Oh, yes, yeah, some old guy lived here. You know, they won't know you. They won't. And they'll tear down and build on and repaint, and there'll be no sign that you ever were there. You know that? Have you ever figured that out? Don't you love the old Teddy Roosevelt uh, in the days in Washington, D.C., when he was president? In those days, the president could actually walk out on Pennsylvania Avenue and all around and Different day, right? And somebody, some kid said to him, hey, do you live there pointing at the White House? And Ted said to him, it was reported, nah. No. Nah. He said, no, I don't live there. We just sort of just come and go. And he's right. And the people's house, the White House, is a picture of your house and my house, a picture of my folks' house. We don't really live there. We pay taxes, we have to, right? We don't really live here. But heaven, we're going to live forever. You know, there's a place there with my name on it. If you know Christ, your name. And afterward, Asaph says, he'll take me to glory. Man. Man. I mentioned the other day at prayer meeting, uh, one of the great family stories we have is uh, Jim Andrews, Pastor Jim Andrews, uh, died a number of years ago, and in, in the year, uh, I believe it was 2000, uh, the same year Jim Boyce died, another pastor in Philadelphia, went to heaven. But Jim Andrews planted a church in Buffalo, New York area, in the Jewish area. It was amazing, and God blessed his ministry as a pastor, evangelist, musician, a, a gregarious, big-hearted man. Uh, and God, God built a, a wonderful church. He was there 30 years, I think. And uh, all of a sudden, it discovered he had pancreatic cancer. Uh, almost the same thing, I think, that Jim Boyce had. It was amazing. Both named Jim, both pastors, both significant ministries, and both given the note that they wouldn't live very long. And Pastor Andrews preaching, let his congregation know that. And they were in they, they were with te in tears. They couldn't imagine. You know, he was the only pastor they had ever known. He was the founder, the FNP, they call it, the founder and pastor. And uh, they loved him dearly. And he said, you know, listen, I've been teaching you for 30 years how to live and how to live for Christ. Now I'm going to teach you how a Christian dies. And I'll tell you the impact of the next six months or so of his life upon that congregation. 
and he never got over it. He could not make every Sunday because of his illness, but finally Thanksgiving came around, and they wheeled him out. He was just the shadow of a man at that point. They wheeled him out onto the stage, and he gave him the mic, and he preached in a few minutes his last message to him, pointing them to heaven and to glory. And that church has never gotten over it to this day. It's been blessed. You know, that's right. And after this, Asa said, wait a minute. This is going, going, almost going. After this, glory. You will take me to glory. And then he looks down here and, whom do I have in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. Forget the word may, okay? If the Lord doesn't come back, it's not subjunctive. It's indicative. Will. Your heart and mine will fail. He says, may. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That portion is the word inheritance. God is my inheritance forever and ever and ever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. That's the judgment. That's hell. But as for me, he closes, it is good to be near God. And I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. And I will tell of all your deeds. Well, it's a Humpty Dumpty world, isn't it? And stuff happens. It does. I've had all kinds of phone calls. In the last month, Faith and I were counting, we, we had four phone calls that uh, were heartbreaking. One uh, uh, this week, I got one and uh, was so choked up, uh, couldn't even express it, and my heart stopped. I didn't know what had happened. I would, you know, your mind runs. Did somebody get killed? Did someone in a car accident? What happened? What happened is they couldn't choke out what the disappointment was and the brokenness. It happens. We live in a fallen world. Genesis 3, never forget it. The historicity of that and the result of that. But someday it's going to be changed. Man can't change us. All the king's horses, all the king's men, all the universities, all the governments, all of that, they can't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. They can't make paradise here on earth. They can't reverse the curse. Only God can. So be careful. So what do we say by way of for our life? Be careful. Think biblically as you look through the lens of life. Think through the lens of Scripture. Verse 17, from God's throne and evaluate the ups and the downs. And don't be fooled by the apparent prosperities of people that make no claim of Christ. They have troubles too, you know. But sometimes uh, we allow ourselves to be blinded. And even if they have more successes here on earth as man counts it, so what? The game's over soon and all the money goes back in the box. Game over. And then it really begins. 
Asaph says, listen, if you know Christ, if you know God, you are wealthy beyond extreme. You are. Why? He recounts, because uh, you are, I am always with you. Verse 23. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you'll take me to glory. Whom do I have on earth but you? And earth holds nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever and ever. Wow. Wow. That's the answer to Humpty Dumpty's world. May you never forget it. And may you tell everybody about it as we leave this place to serve him.